never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that is exhausted because we've been chasing a tennis ball all week. I just hope the motion capture turns out right. My name is Drew, I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother Peter. Here. How are you, man? Uh, pretty good. How about you? I'm, you know, this is, it's interesting. With a writer strike going on, I'm consuming stuff that I haven't, that I'm, I feel like I'm playing a little catch up. But I'm also like, what do I watch? <laughs> so, right. You know, like, it's weird. Like, do I start a rewatch of something? Do I what? And then it's causing me to actually not watch stuff, which I find <laughs> interesting. So um, I did do some consuming of things because there's some gaming related stuff that took place this week. And, you know, I got wrapped up in that a little bit. But, hey, I saw The Flash and I have a review um, so, um, I don't want to waste any time and I just want to speed right into it, but what about you? How's your week been? Uh, pretty good. Um, as far as the writer's strike goes though, I think that, uh, I don't know, we live in this time of just this endless void of just various pieces of entertainment we can consume and you really just got to be like Scrooge McDuck and dive into that endless void. Like he dives into his coin vault and, uh, I don't know. There's like even like if you just take Netflix by itself, you have like an endless supply of things to watch. But then again, it is like, what do I want to watch? What's worth watching? And there's that whole conundrum. But uh, I don't know. I guess I just have been flying by the seat of my pants and just picking random stuff to watch. But uh, <laughs> that being said, uh, I haven't really watched anything new this week except for cool. The Flash, All right. which is pretty great. I saw it um, this past Tuesday, so I saw it a little bit later than everybody else. But unlike Into the Spider-Verse, I didn't get annoyed with the online discussion about it like I did with Into the Spider-Verse, which I still haven't seen. But just everywhere I go on Twitter, there's people talking about it. And it's like it's gotten to the point where the hype for that movie, there's no way it's actually going to live up to... Um, how how great everybody's saying it is. So I actually have kind of taken a step. For, what's hold on. Are you talking hype for Spider-Verse? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's... Sorry, I'm, I'm a bit rambling, but uh, yeah, sure. for Spider-Verse, I feel like the hype that I'm seeing for that movie online, there's no way that the movie's going to live up to it for me at this point. And I'm, I've kind of taken a step back from, like, I'll probably watch it once it's on video just because I can't go anywhere without hearing about it. And uh, for better or worse, that wasn't the case with The Flash, even though I saw it after like I didn't go opening night. But I don't know. I kind of I know that it's not doing super well at the box office, but in a weird way, I kind of appreciate that 
people aren't like talking my ear off about it constantly, if that makes sense. Um, and I don't know if you wanted to jump straight into the flash well, drew, but that's kind of where I'm at, at with it right now. We'll hit the flash in just a moment because I, I want to like, look, if you didn't see the flash now, if you look at it this way, the box office dollars on the flash are not great. And the internet sucks. I'm not going to lie. I'm sorry. There's just way too many negative people out there. And yeah, I want to touch on that very briefly. But I also want to talk about this movie because I had a a lot of fun watching this movie and I kind of want to dig into it. Um, So I'm probably going to spoil the absolute hell out of this movie. So if you haven't seen it and you don't want it spoiled, (laughs) you might want to jump ahead. But the flash segues really, really well into a lot of a lot of the news tonight. Um, So which makes news very light because a lot of it is flash related. Um, and you'll understand why as we go, cause there's things that have surfaced because of it. Um, so, um, but we did both watch a trailer for the next, uh, Sony spider verse film, Craven the hunter. Yeah. So let's take a look at this real briefly. Um, what did you think of this trailer? Because, I before I give you my thoughts on this trailer, I have been vocal on this show about how I am not a Craven the Hunter fan. I've said yeah. it before. I just I'm just not. And um I've never really liked the character. But I watched this trailer. So before I give you my thoughts on the trailer, what did you think? Well, I'm actually kind of curious on how your opinion, um, how the trailer has affected your opinion, because I'm definitely with you drew like i've never had anything specifically against craven but when it comes to like growing up and reading spider-man comics and watching uh the spider-man animated series and stuff craven was always just my least favorite one of spider-man's rogues and i think it's just because you have you have the rhino and the green goblin and you have venom and you have all these really crazy characters with really cool visual attributes to themselves and then you have craven who's kind of just a guy who's hunting down spider-man and i think this trailer i think it did a really good job of showcasing how like he is a superhuman and he has he does have like these enhanced abilities and uh they it does look really interesting and it looks really good like i feel like the movie looks probably about as good as it possibly could but then there's still part of me where I'm just like, well, yeah, it's Craven, and I'm <laughs> it's not, like, I think I'm gonna appreciate the movie, but it's not gonna be my favorite superhero movie ever. And it's just because I'm a little bit with you, or I'm just not that into Craven. If and I know that some people probably think that's sacrilege, but that's just kind of where I'm sitting with this one. But uh, I don't know. What are you? What are your well, thoughts? Well, I know that Craven has a massive fan base in the Marvel community in terms yeah. of. The- books and um so i think it's cool that they're doing a movie um like i said in the comics i've never been a fan of his as a character fine i don't have to be there's so many other villains but um this trailer i thought looked pretty sweet just for the trailer i thought it looked like a lot lot of fun it looked like a roller coaster it almost doesn't look like a superhero movie at all it doesn't look like a comic book movie at all it looks like i mean yeah clearly the guy's got some superhuman powers and stuff like sure but at the same time it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun it is rated r it looks incredibly action-packed looks like it's got some gore to it 
looks like it might yeah. be kind of terrifying. I really liked that bit. There's a shot in the trailer. Now, we don't know if Spider-Man's in the movie, and I highly doubt he is. But there's that bit where he's in the forest and all those spiders are, like, crawling at him or yeah. down from the webs. <laughs> I'm like, what a cool shot. But I don't really, like, out of context, I don't really know what's going on. But that looked awesome. Um, yeah, the absolutely. Attack, the attack with the lion, the uh, battle with the other hunters in the woods and stuff. Like, it just, it looked like, it almost looked like the Rambo of comic book movies. Um, but again, hmm. out of context, I don't really know a lot of what I'm looking at. Um, but I thought the movie looked pretty cool just off of the trailer alone. So, um, I knew, like, like I said, whether I'm a Craven fan or not, my butt's going to be in a seat for it. So, you know, and then they dropped this trailer and I'm like, oh, cautiously optimistic over here. This looks kind of cool, you know, <laughs> so... Yeah, I, I'm kind of right there with you. It does it does look really good, and like I said, I do think it's like probably about as good as it could be. Like I feel like I don't know how they could make a Craven movie look better than this one does so far. So I am excited about it. It's just one of those things where it's like it's not one of the characters that I'm the most fond of, and I do understand that there's certain um, comic book arcs that focus on Craven, and I probably just haven't read some of those because I know that it's one of those things like there's certain people who love the character and I think it's a lot because certain writers have just written like amazing comic book art uh, arcs about Craven that I just haven't uh, yeah. happened to read but it's also at the same time he just never was one of my favorite characters so I haven't had the drive to go read those uh those story arcs but I am I do agree with you about that one spider shot I saw people complaining about it about that shot online like oh this is so cliche uh Sony does this for every Spider-Man movie but I was just like yeah but it looks freaking awesome so I don't know what the problem is here you know <laughs> You know, as we get into the Flash, I before we shift gears into the Flash, let me talk about the internet real quick. Somewhere along the line, the internet decided to hate And then we had videos and articles that were like, this is how the movie should have ended. Well, maybe you should be in the writer's room. That's my opinion. Um, why are you not in the writer's room? Why are you not a professional writer? Like, I feel like the internet likes to take the, I'm not there, but I'm going to, I saw a video of a guy who is, it's a YouTube video, and the guy is talking about how this other guy is doing a re-edit of the Obi-Wan television show to clean it up. And the video starts with the guy saying, we all know that the Obi-Wan show was littered with flaws. And I'm like, what makes you think the show is littered with flaws? And where are you, how are you considered the expert? Now, we have a podcast and we talk about this shit constantly. Does that make me an expert? Absolutely not. I went to film <laughs> school. I went to film school. But does that make me an expert? No. This is an art form and you're going in saying, you know what? I liked it or I didn't like it. If you want to explain why, great. But that doesn't mean like you're it has flaws. You can't I just I really hate how the internet does that sometimes. Or they'll be like, this is how the movie should have ended, or you know, this is disgusting that they did this. I can't believe they, you know, this this is a dead actor and they brought him back to life. And I can't believe like, guys, it's 
there's a lot of stuff in there that I think people are like way overreacting to. And it drives me nuts because I think it's contributes to certain movies not doing well at box offices. Um, so the internet needs to chill out, I think. <laughs> um, right. I hope I'm not alienating our audience because, you know, I mean, we don't say everything perfect, but I'm just literally like, look, if you don't want to see it to each his own, there used to be a time in our lives where <laughs> I would say, you know what? I didn't like that movie or I didn't like that show or I read the book and it really wasn't my thing or, oh, my God, I loved that thing. And that would be like kind of the end of the conversation. It'd be like, oh, yeah, to each his own. No worries. Like, why didn't you like it? And we could talk now. Yeah. If I don't like the thing you like. I have to bend my entire paradigm to your thoughts and I'm wrong. Like, it's almost like we have to fight. We're fighting to have an opinion, which is so strange to me because look, it's an art form. And if I like it, I like it. And that's the end of it, you know? Um, and that's, you know, when you look at some of the reviews and stuff that came out of The Flash, like Flash was getting all these like negative critic reviews. And then it started getting all these positive audience scores for like the pre-screenings. And I'm like, well, that's yeah. cool. But at the same time, when the movie releases, then you started seeing negative complaints where people are like whining and moaning about the CGI. And then you have like filmmakers defending the CGI in the movie because of what the CGI was doing on for a specific purpose and it's like, well, and I, I understood it watching the movie without reading all that stuff. I'm like, oh, I see exactly what the CGI is doing, you know? So it's goofy. Um, and I know it's hard to it's hard for me to extrapolate without spoiling things in the movie, which we're going to get into now because I want to talk about this because, to be completely honest, I had a ton of fun at this movie. Right. I don't know about you, Peter, but I had a freaking blast watching this movie from the opening scene all the way to the bonus scene in the credits yeah i i had a really good time as well um i think it's a overall i think it is a really good film and uh i think this film is going to be very interesting to me because it feels almost more like a cult classic film than a big blockbuster like they in the fact that made a cult classic film <laughs> so like, i think like it's right gonna, off the bat it's a cult classic film here we go <laughs> i think it's gonna become a cult classic because i think the film on its own if you just look at the film for what it is and forget ezra miller's debauchery forget the state of the dc universe forget um any of the crazy aspects that are going against the success of this film, I think if you look at the film on its own, I think it's objectively a good good movie. But I think the DC Universe, unfortunately, does have a lot of baggage at this point, and I think a lot of the harsher critics of this movie can't separate themselves from some of some of that baggage, or they can't separate the movie from some of that baggage. And I think that's really affecting the way that people are perceiving this movie, if that makes sense. And we can get more into details, but that's kind of where I'm at with that. Sure. I just think the state of the DC universe and Ezra Miller's personal life and all these other factors are really going against the movie, where the movie itself, I think, was pretty well executed, is kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Now, I will say this. 
and I'm not trying to put this movie on a pedestal when I say this. I'm just saying I was so amped up after this movie. Like I was like <laughs> heavily excited. And I remember texting you briefly, but I wanted, as soon as the movie was over, I wanted to buy a ticket and go back in and watch it again. Of course. It was like instantaneous. I'm like, let's do that again. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I'll say this, not one Marvel movie has ever made me feel that way. Oh, that is <laughs> that I is know. a bold statement. <laughs> I know it is. And I don't know that I agree with that, but Well, <laughs> I brought that up. I brought that up to someone and they're like, "Really? Come on. Endgame, Infinity War, Avengers." And I'm like, "The original Avengers, I was not a fan of when I first saw the movie." Right. Infinity War, I remember sitting in my seat not sure what to say. And just in a state of shock. And then I got in the car and I went home and my brain's trying to process what I saw. I'm like, what the heck? Endgame, I was sitting there in my car, speechless, like, I can't believe I just saw that. Like, holy crap. Like, again, in a state of shock. This movie, I was like, that was amazing. Let's do that again. Buy a ticket. Let's go. Like, that's that yeah. was my immediate reaction. Let's run that again. <laughs> and no Marvel movie has ever made me think that way. The only other superhero movie that's made me go, I have to see that again, was The Dark Knight. Okay. Okay. Like, The Dark Knight, I'm like, tickets, let's go, do it. The Flash, same response. No Marvel movies made me feel that way. The only other movies that have made me go, I have to see it again in a theater, has been a Star Wars film. And several of those I've seen multiple times in theaters. So I just thought that was an interesting dynamic as I walked out of the theater. It was just like, whoa, that was fantastic. Let's do that shit again. Um, <laughs> That's that is such a bold statement. Um, I know it's a bold a... statement, but I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> There's a number of other superhero films that have made me feel that way. Um, even at, like within the MCU, like the first Avengers, uh, the first Guardians, uh, Civil War, sure. all those movies I wanted to see again right away. Um, most recently, like the Mario, Super Mario Brothers, like as soon as I saw that movie, I wanted to watch it again. But I will say Flash did have a similar effect on me. And there's actually a moment in this movie. It's one of the first times where you see um, Barry Allen walking into his apartment and uh, on the city street in the background, there's like a sign for one of the stores across from his apartment. I believe it was a comic shop sign. And I remember seeing that in the background in the movie. And I had this thought to myself, I'm going to have to watch this movie a lot because <laughs> there's going to be a lot of hidden Easter eggs and DC aspects in the background. And that's before sure. we get to any of the crazy multiversal stuff. It was really yeah. early in the film, but I'm like, I remember seeing, and it was just like a sign that said comics or something, but I was like, I need to start paying more attention to the background. And this is going to be one of those movies that we're going to have to watch a lot. So I did have that effect from the movie overall. So I will well, agree with you there. Like I said, I'm going to spoil the absolute hell out of this. Um, let's just start like this movie wastes zero time. It opens with an action sequence right out the gate. Here we yeah. go. Something's <laughs> there's like a crazy thing going on in Gotham. Batman's chasing some bad guys. He needs the Flash's help. Alfred calls the Flash, and I thought it was funny where they're like, Did, why didn't you try Superman? He's busy. What about Wonder Woman? She's busy. 
what about this guy? He, he's busy. Like, okay, so you're, I'm clearly your last choice, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. And I really liked, he was getting ready to run, right? The, uh, the, the Starbucks sandwich or whatever I thought was really kind of funny because the guy's like, dude, we're not going to rush a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And Flash is like, dude, we got to go. <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought that was hilarious to make Flash slow down. But, um, he, it literally like out, he's getting ready to run and the girl's like, and it, it's about to show the title and the girl goes, oh my God, it's the Flash. It was just this really funny, like celebrity moment, but it took the title away. So you didn't see the yeah. title until he started running until he's actually going to run. Um, but I'll tell you, that was a really cool opening sequence. It got you into the movie immediately. Um, seeing Ben Affleck again on screen being Batman was fantastic. Uh, getting to see that, like, and it was cool. Like, it was still a tactical suit, but it was blue and gray, dude. Yeah, that was you know? awesome. I was like, oh, my God, this is, like, right out of, this is right out of, like, it looked like um, there was a couple shots, like, a couple wide shots, not the close-up. The close-up, uh, the suit was a little more tactical, but it almost looked like the tactical uh, aerial suit that Batman uses in the bat at the beginning of the Batman Hush story arc. Uh, from the oh, comic. I gotcha. Um, it looked great, but the blue and gray was fantastic. The motorcycle was great. That car chase was awesome. But I'm gonna tell you, dude, baby shower. That made me laugh. <laughs> that that made me laugh so hard when he when he used the term baby shower. I'm like, oh my god, that's hilarious. And then you gotta remember when he's like, what do I do? And you're just like, I was kind of cringing a little bit. All these babies come dumping out of the building yeah. as it's falling over. I'm like, oh my god, are we really doing this? And then you go into flash time and he's got like all this time to do things. It was hilarious. Um, I just thought like an opening sequence, it was great. And then surprise, surprise, Wonder Woman's got a cameo. What? <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. That was fantastic. Um, apparently, because like I said, the segues in the news really, really well. Um, apparently, the flash does have a director's cut. And I'm going to say this right now. We better get it. Okay. Right. Look, <laughs> look, we better get it. And I'm going to tell you why. Because the Flash's director's cut is four hours long and it includes many significant DC cameos. Awesome. That's if we're great. Dealing, if we're dealing with a multiverse, what does that mean? And let's get that done. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, after that, Ezra Miller goes into the let's talk, he realizes he can travel through time. And uh, he tells Bruce Wayne about it. And Bruce Wayne's like, I don't know if this is a good idea. Like, you know, and then Ben <laughs> Affleck's gone. We won't see Ben Affleck for the rest of the movie. But it was this really touching moment. Like, it was like from Justice League to this movie, it was like nothing, no steps got missed. Right. You know, it was such a great transition from, uh, from, um, let me rephrase this, from the Snyder Cut to this. <laughs> you know, we want to be careful with Justice League we're referring to. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's just, it, it was, it was gorgeous. And Ben Affleck has his moment. He's in the movie for about maybe five minutes, this great action sequence. And he's got this really cool conversation with Barry and we jump away. And then Ezra Miller has got to carry the movie for a little bit about going back in time to saving his mom, which ultimately wrecks the timeline and he screws everything up. Um, aside from... The Michael Keaton Batman stuff. 
because they decided to go multiverse and bring in another world as opposed to a split crazy timeline, it follows the comic book Flashpoint pretty closely. Right. Um, which, you know, they said directly that, uh, Andy Machete said directly that they didn't follow the um, comic book verbatim because they wanted the readers to still have fun and not fully know where the movie was going. And I was watching scenes like, oh, man, this is just like the book. This is fantastic. And I was like, oh, that was a nice change, like, from the book. Like, you know, I see that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, jump in at any time because I'm just having no. fun talking about this because <laughs> I understand. I literally walked out of the theater and I'm like, where's a microphone that I can hit record on and go on go to town right now? Um, you're, you're, you're just going off. It's hard to know uh, where to add stuff in. Um, related to the Michael Keaton stuff, I do feel like I said this before the movie came out, but I was like, I wonder if he's going to sort of replace the role of, uh, Thomas Wayne Batman in the Flashpoint, uh, storyline from the comics. Mm, And, uh, I feel like he sort of did, but people like I've told people that and they would be like, no, that's, that's crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. And I never, when I said that, I never meant that I thought Michael Keaton was going to be that dark and brooding and brutal. I never thought that he was going to be using guns and shooting people. I was just trying to say they're taking the Tim Burton, Michael Keaton, Batman and replacing him in the story with, uh, where Thomas Wayne was. So he's just kind of taking that place, but his character is still the same. And I kind of feel like they still did that. And, uh, you had, um, I don't know the actress's name. I know it's Sasha something. Sasha Callie. There you go. Sasha Callie. Is that what you said? Yeah. C-A-L-L-I, C-A-L-L-E. So Callie, Callie, I'm not sure. Sasha. Okay. I just, I was saying Sasha Callie. Yeah, but but she she was uh, representing, you know, Kara Zor-El. She was Supergirl in this movie, and she obviously was replacing Superman's role from the Flashpoint storyline. Yeah. And uh, but similarly, with when it comes to the uh, backstory and all that, uh, what did well, you want to throw in there, though? Well, I was going to throw in there was when we went when they're like, we got to go find Superman, and in the Flashpoint comic. Superman's not found when he comes to Earth. He's not found by um, the Kents. He's picked up by yeah. a military group and thrown in a bunker for study purposes. So they're like, oh, we got to go to Russia. That's where they're keeping him because he got picked up by the Russians. OK, cool. They go to the military facility, just like in the comic book. And when they go to find it, it's not Clark that landed. It's Kara. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, it's Supergirl. That's awesome. And they handled it exactly the same. It was like straight out of the comic. And I'm going to tell you, I'm a huge fan of what Melissa Benoist did in the Supergirl television show. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was great. I thought she did a great job playing Cara Zor-El um, and being Supergirl. But Sasha Cali freaking nailed it. Dude, she was she was so badass. Like, she I, was fantastic, man. Sorry, yeah, go I, ahead. I, no, I, I just loved her in this role. I thought she was like... She just seemed so natural as far as just acting out who this character is. And uh, we really just got a taste of her, buddy. She was so freaking cool. Like, I loved the aesthetic. I like the uh, shorter hair version of her. Um, There's actually, I can't remember, is it Scott McDaniel, the comic book artist, who um, he did like a run on uh, Nightwing back in the day. But I uh, I might have for, for Flashpoint. 
No, I just I just remember uh no, it was it was a different artist, but he had like a really similar version of Supergirl in the comics. Oh, okay. Um yeah. and and she actually looks really similar to that with the like short dark hair and stuff, but when it comes to her costume, I thought her costume looked like really sleek. I actually really loved. I never I didn't really like, pay too close attention to the costume before watching the movie, but I thought it was really cool with how the how the shoulders were like all red, but then yeah. how her shoulders like blended into the cape. I was like, that's actually a pretty cool take on this. But um, no, she was awesome. It was awesome seeing Michael Keaton's Batman. She, um, it was before we get to Keaton's Batman, Sasha Ka- Callie, um, just real quick, just because we're on Supergirl for a yeah. minute. Um, I thought she channeled a lot of Henry Cavill too. Like, right. Cavill. like I, I'm like, it's like she studied what he was doing because she's essentially the Superman now because Superman never happened in this timeline. You know, you're dealing with a timeline where it's supposed to be Henry Cavill's Superman, but he didn't happen because of what because of what was covered in dialogue in the exposition. So she's yeah. now that character for this timeline. And I thought she channeled him a little bit like she studied how he like delivers lines and like the way he like would turn to the camera and stuff like that. Like, you know, that's how he did it. All right. I got to mimic that. I, dude, I was blown away and I'm like more of this girl on the screen. Let's get it done. Um, well, that, that's what I'm, what's cool about this movie is they brought in so many different timelines and, uh, obviously things have changed and we don't have to jump to the end of the movie yet, but obviously the time travel aspects of this movie have changed the current DC timeline. And I feel like if Warner brothers has enough feedback that people really like uh, Sasha Calais as Supergirl, she might appear again. Because we really only got, like, we got such a short taste of this character, but she was so cool in the role. And uh, just since we are talking about a lot of Superman, super family-related stuff, I just wanted to mention, like, Henry Cavill did not... Well, he does make an appearance, but it's like a CGI version. Like, we didn't really get much of his version of Superman in this movie, but by the time the movie comes to an end, I was just like, as a Superman fan, I was like, this stuff is all so cool. There's so much Superman stuff in this movie. You have General Zod as like the main villain. You have this new badass version of Supergirl. You have like the moment when uh, General Zod said that, uh, you know, they harvested Kal-El's blood to see if uh, he had the, uh, you know, the patchwork to uh, Uh, recreate Krypton. The Kryptonian Matrix. Yeah, and and, uh, he said, said, like, the the child didn't survive. That was just, like, a gut punch that's like, oh, man, that just gets you right in the feels. But then when it comes to the other time travel aspects, to the other... um, the the other universes within the DC multiverse that we see, there is so much Superman Easter eggs. And I was just sitting there, sitting there like the last 10 years of the DCU have been a really good time to be a Superman fan. And as much yeah. as going back to the online hate and stuff, as much as people want to complain, DC, the thing that Warner Brothers and DC has that, Marvel never had. And Marvel, the MCU has its strengths. I think it has a much tighter, cleaner knit cinematic universe than the DC has ever had, unfortunately. But the thing that the DC universe has is it has a history and it has a rich history of many movies that go back decades. 
And this film had a way to tie that all in. And as a longtime Superman fan and as a longtime Batman fan, there is so like you just there is so much warmth and uh, just awesomeness to soak in from this movie. And it's funny that I mentioned that because it's like, you know, I'm over here like, you know, just fangirling out about Superman and Batman and this is a flash film, you know. I mean? <laughs> right, I know. Um, let's. Um, all right. So look, Barry goes back in time. He screws everything up. Um, he gets back, realizes everything's wrong, and is like, "How do I fix this?" So what does he do? He's like, "Oh, I gotta go talk to Batman. He'll know." Just like he did in the comic. Let's go find Batman. And I liked how. Um, he started looking people up online. Wonder Woman wasn't a thing. Uh, Aquaman wasn't a thing. Like he tried calling uh, Aquaman's dad, and Aquaman's dad's like, "No, what the heck are you talking about? This is a prank phone call." Like, you know, there were some surprises. I was like, "Whoa, look at that!" Like they got Tamara Morrison in to recap that role at the lighthouse. They're like, "Geez, that's." They like really pulled out all the stops, and I'm thinking to myself, they pulled out all the stops, and we hadn't gotten to the ending of the movie yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> The, the so he's like, let's go find Batman now. All right, original mansion from Batman '89, and then they go into the house, original dining room with the long table past the soup, and then they go into the <laughs> and then they go into the kitchen where Alfred was telling Vicky Vale about the horse riding adventure that he's no one that he's like that's the last time I ever gave Master Bruce a horse riding lesson. I'm like, oh my god, this is nuts, and I'm like blown away just by the set. We haven't even gotten to the Bat Cave yet. Um, yeah. Right. We have the interaction with Bruce Wayne, who's the Michael Keaton, the old Michael Keaton Batman. And he's clearly on his own. Alfred's passed away. He's just by himself. And like Gotham City is one of the safest cities in the world. They don't need a Batman anymore. And you're just like, oh, my God, that's crazy that that's how that world took place, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but then they got to go into the but then Barry's like, you know, if he's not going to help me, I'm going to do it myself. So he sneaks into the Batcave, which is the original Batcave, original computers. Um, which look like they've been a little, they've been souped up a little bit, but it's the same um, display, uh, like makeup, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Batmobile stored in the same spot, like with the cover on it, and you're just like, oh, it's great. I would have loved to see that Batmobile in action one more time. I really would have. But the new Batwing was fantastic. Such a cool piece of tech. I loved how the interior, the I loved how the exterior of the Batwing would rotate around to the cockpit when he needed to spin it. Um, yeah, absolutely. That, was, that was a really clever take. Um, the seeing the bat suit again was awesome. Um, yeah, there was a lot of history stuff with the Michael Keaton Batman, which was just fantastic. Um, and then as an as him being in the role, I didn't think he missed a step at all. Um, line delivery, like he just jumped right back in the role. It's like he never stopped being Batman. It was great. Um, so I I loved the moment. Um, I guess it was it was right after they rescued Supergirl. So right after sneaking into sure. like the Russian base and saving her, and there's like the awesome fight scene with everybody, and there's the scene where you have Bruce Wayne back at his mansion, in the bathroom looking in the mirror, and he's sewing up, he's stitching up a wound in his arm, and, and just he that, smiles. Yeah, just that look on his face. And he just he didn't have to say anything. Just that look on Michael Keaton's face where him just as Bruce Wayne, he's just like, yeah, I'm back. And like that was like such a cool 
part of the yeah. movie. Like that's something they could have easily edited out, but it was such a cool moment, you know? Yeah, it, that that really was. And I saw that too, and I'm like, oh man, he's just he either <laughs> did that, he either got direction to smile in the mirror, or he did it on his own. Like, God, this is awesome. I'm so glad yeah. I'm back again. Um. So yeah, Michael Keaton was great. Didn't miss a step. The fight scenes were awesome. And I realized that Michael Keaton Batman fight scene, the one where they were in the Russian base, that's not how Michael Keaton fought in the original Batman films. Um, the Batman 89 and Batman Returns, I thought the fight scenes were a little stiff, mostly because they weren't using CGI. They had a rubber suit, which was tough to move in. So I always felt the yeah. fight scenes were a little stiff, but they were still fun and cool. This was... We had a warehouse fight and beat Batman versus Superman, which at the time when that came <laughs> out, you're like, you're never going to see Batman in a better fight scene ever. And I'm not saying that this one was better, but they clearly took a page from that going. That's how we need to make Batman move from now on. You know what I mean? Like, that's how it felt. So I was like, here we go. Michael Keaton, Batman. And he's just the way he's taking him out. It's just like the Ben Affleck warehouse fight scene, you know? Well, well what you're, they were doing is they take Michael Keaton's version of Batman, that character, but then they're bringing it into the current DC universe and they're, they're still using the same visual language when it comes to the choreography, even though he's wearing, you know, a Batman suit that fits more within the Tim Burton movies, they're still using the same kind of fight choreography. And it was just such a cool, um, it's such a cool combination to see, um, in that way. So, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, at any rate, we got to get into we jump into the Zod fight, which was coming all the way back to Man of Steel and like the change in the timeline of what was going on with Man of Steel. And you're just like, oh, Barry was in Metropolis. He already had his powers trying to save everybody. Didn't really work out. All right. Um, Zod. So, so the, go ahead. Well, well, one of the things with that whole fight one of the things that I've seen as a criticism online that I do kind of agree with, because we obviously both love this movie, but no movie's perfect. And the one criticism yeah. I do kind of agree with is that that fight scene was so awesome, but it was in this, it was in the middle of a desert. It was in the middle of this beige void. And like, yes, like in Man of Steel, there were scenes in the desert like that, like when Zod uh, picks up uh, uh Superman as well as Lois Lane and stuff like that. There, that desert was like showcased a couple of times in Man of Steel, but I do wish that there was maybe more of an interesting place that they could have fought instead of like this beige, sandy desert void. You know, like I, it would have been yeah. cool if there was some architecture or some mountains or something like that. But regardless, that's like a small complaint for how awesome this movie was, in my opinion. So. Well, I thought about that, too, and I was like, well, because it's where they're fighting, they cannot, they can't, it's like one world engine was here, one world engine was there, they're fighting in the desert, it's fine, the military was there, it's a big battle sequence in the desert. They cannot get criticism for destroying Metropolis a second time. True, true. Okay, like Man of Steel suffered the, Man of Steel suffered the, I can't believe they, like, all that damage in Metropolis, and I'm like... If you watch, sorry, but if you watch Avengers, they destroyed the hell out of New York. Like, it's not, you know, <laughs> like, it's yeah. the same thing. What do you guys, I, you know, it's the way they ragged on it, you know, back then. I don't want to talk about that. Anyway, um, <laughs> I 
Well, I liked the fight scene a lot because of the, like, Barry and then the other Barry, who now has Flash powers, trying to um, fix stuff. Like, you know, and the one gets into the, well, hold on, we can fix this. We can save Supergirl. So he starts really messing with the timeline, going back and back and back and back. And that's where we come to the big epic conclusion of the worlds colliding and being erased because Barry made yeah. this mistake. And that's where, as a Superman fan, and I thought of you in the moment. Um, now, this is where some criticism is hit. People have complained about the CGI used in um, the movie because they're just like, it's not, um, they didn't think it was good. And uh, Andy Machete said, the idea, of course, is we're in a perspective of the flesh. Everything is distorted in terms of lights and textures. We enter this like water world, which is basically being in Barry's point of view, and it was part of the design. So if it looks a little weird, it was intended. And I'm thinking to myself, if you're complaining about what the world looks like when Barry goes into the speed force and starts messing with things, go all the way back to the Justice League and watch Flash in the speed force. It's carried over. It's in that movie, too. So when people complained about it, I was like, what are you talking about? It's over here as well. They did it over here. They're carrying it's con it's called consistency. You know, it was it's done on purpose for a reason. Um, so that kind of bugged me that people were talking about that. And then Kevin Smith defended it, too. Um, Kevin Smith said. Uh, um, I don't know any actor who wouldn't be like, don't use my image when I'm dead. Like, you don't go into this business to try to be shy, right? You want them to be seen. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Which I thought was interesting because people, there's been some negative feedback regarding Christopher Reeve and George Reeve and um, all that. Like, you know, why, you know, they, they think it's disrespectful to do that to the actor. And I'm like, I don't know, because when Star Wars did it with Tarkin, they went to Peter Cushing's estate and asked permission first. Yeah. You know, before they did any of that. And when they made Blonde, they went to Marilyn Monroe's estate, not just to ask for permission, but to use the footage they did use of Marilyn. You know, so they have to get permission to do this stuff. It's not I don't think it's necessarily disrespectful at all. And I thought, dude, when you saw Christopher Reeve, I was like, oh, my God, are you serious? And then Supergirl, the TV Supergirl flies in. I'm like, holy crap. And then we see yeah. George Reeve, Superman, like black and white. White. And then in that, you see black and white flash, which never existed on television, to my knowledge. <laughs> but I was like, that's yeah. crazy to see the old school Jay Garrick flash. But then um, Adam West Batman was in it. And I'm like, that's nuts. Um, do you want to talk? That about was a. Ad Go Adam ahead. West was like a blink and you miss it thing. Um, and we can keep going into this, but I do kind of want to talk comment because. You did mention Tarkin in um, Rogue One, and uh, mm -hmm. we've seen a similar thing happen with uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife when they brought uh, Egon back and stuff. And I think, I feel like when I saw this whole sequence, when you're seeing all these different remnants of DC universes and you see George Reeve and or George Reeves and you're like that's so cool and then you see Christopher Reeve Superman and Adam West and I felt like it really honored the characters like I didn't think it was disrespectful at all and then I have the, I keep seeing these weird comments that 
people are saying because the CGI wasn't good enough that it was disrespectful to the characters. And I was like, well, now you're, <laughs> you're looking more at like the rendering of the characters as opposed to the intent. And that's kind of a weird way to judge yeah. whether it's respectful or not. But I honestly really did think it was like, this is honoring the legacy of like Christopher Reeve example, for example, and his portrayal of Superman that everybody knows and has loved for years. And I thought it was really tasteful, but also really cool at the same time. That's really what I was left with from it. So yeah, same. And do you want to talk about the one that my jaw was on the floor for? <laughs> this probably was too. Yes. Well, go ahead. <laughs> So within the sequence, they also have um, a scene where you have a much darker area where you see another version of Superman and he's fighting off a giant spider. And uh, once you zoom in on that Superman, it's shown that it is uh, the Nicolas Cage, uh, Tim Burton version of Superman, you know, played by Nicolas Cage from the movie Superman Lives that has never came out but it's this legendary movie that was in development and uh, so many people know about the development of this movie. There's the whole like documentary, The Death of Superman Lives, that's all about it. It's a really interesting story, but it's just so funny that they actually brought uh, Nicolas Cage to be part of the sequence. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> what are your thoughts about this, Drew? So. First off, as soon as I saw the long hair, because you see that pretty early. Yeah. You see this dark area, you see the long hair, and I was like, no way is this Nicolas Cage. And then you saw the spider, and I was like, oh my god, are they really doing this? Um, mm -hmm. For our listeners, just so you guys know, there was a, supposed to be a Tim Burton-directed Superman movie called Superman Lives. Due to several script rewrites and several directors falling in and out of the movie. The movie was eventually scrapped and never finished. Now, one of the directors who um, was assigned to the movie um, was on it when Kevin Smith was working on the script for Superman Lives. For some reason, the director said Superman has to fight a giant spider at the end of the movie. <laughs> Nobody wanted this to happen. Period. He was the that director was the only person who wanted Superman to fight a giant spider at the end of the movie. I don't know why he was so hell bent on spiders, because when he left the Superman Lives project, he went to make a movie called Wild Wild West with Will Smith, which has a giant spider at the end of the movie. Um, so um, anyway, so Superman is supposed to fight a giant spider, which nobody wanted to happen. The movie got scrapped and there's a documentary online and I believe it's still on Netflix called the death of Superman lives. What happened, which is a, which is a documentary about how the movie became to be and then got scrapped. And you actually get to see Nicolas Cage in the costume and all that stuff, the test screenings and that kind of thing um, for, you know, the, the stage tests and um, costume checks and all that stuff that never went beyond like pre-production. We see this scene and my jaw is on the floor because I'm seeing a sequence of a movie that never got shot, never was supposed to be. And it was only a pipe dream for us going, we'll never see this, but we know it's supposed to be a thing. And I was yeah. blown away. And I remember like my arms went up 
like my hand, like not up, like over my head, just kind of, because my arms were like kind of crossed <laughs> while I was watching the screen. It was just like kind of open my hands. I'm like, what? Jaw on the floor. And my kid looks over to me and I go, we'll talk during the credits. <laughs> like, I awesome. I'm like, holy, I'm like, I will explain during the credits. I couldn't believe we saw that just in the term of film history. That was astounding to see. Um, and for that for that to be in the final cut of the film and for that not yeah. to be a deleted or extended scene, that is so crazy. And I don't know. Yeah, I think this is going to be really interesting to talk to people about. The average moviegoer who's not like a huge comic book geek who might not know about the movie Superman no lives like. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it'll be interesting to find out is the concept of the film superman lives is that in the cultural subconscious enough that everybody kind of was like oh yeah i feel like i've heard of that before or was everybody just like what the heck is going on right now to you know my what knowledge, I mean? to my knowledge i feel like that is a huge deep cut reference that you have to be like really in the know to understand that what what was happening on that sequence yeah so. but it's it's stuff like this which goes back to what i said before this movie feels like a cult classic film. Like, to me, this feels like sure. 10, 20 years down the line, I feel like this is the movie that some kid's college dorm roommate is going to show to them, and then they're going to tell them little-known facts like, oh, yeah, that part was based off of uh, this Superman Lives movie that was going to be starring Nicolas Cage, directed about by Tim Burton. It never happened, but it, it has that sort of, like, cult classic feel to me, kind of like... When you think back to like the first time one of your friends showed you like Donnie Darko and they had to explain you parts of the plot or had to show like point out little tidbits. That's how it felt to me. And it's weird to say that about a big blockbuster superhero, you know, big budget movie that just came out. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's jump ahead to the ending um, because Barry goes back in time, stops himself from preventing his mom's death and he's got to deal with the fact that yeah my mom does have to die otherwise i don't become the flash and then you know all these other people don't become who they are and it gets messed up and everything gets messed up now what's interesting about this let me just say this right now because i haven't brought this up yet despite all of ezra miller's things that happened with him by the way we're going incredibly long so yeah We'll get to the top five list in a moment. I'll probably skip some of this news, <laughs> but um, I don't want to dwell too much on this because everyone needs to see The Flash because we destroyed. I just think we completely spoiled the hell out of this. But um, Ezra Miller's acting in this movie was really good. Like, I was kind of blown away by certain scenes. Like, he really, like, channeled something there. And I think he put in a really well done performance, despite all the crazy stuff that surrounded him during the making of this movie and, like, you know, the other stuff, you're like, oh, crap, are you messing this all up, like, post-Justice League and stuff? Like, I just, I really thought he did a really nice job and was well, like, he did a really good work with this film. So, right. Yeah. Anyway, we have the ending where Barry comes back and he's like, everything's great, cool. And he gets a phone call from Bruce Wayne and Bruce Wayne's like, yeah, I'm pulling up right now. And you hear, you hear, here comes the car that Ben Affleck drove away in. <laughs> and then out of the car comes George Clooney Batman. <laughs> which it's so would, good. Which I would love to know how in the hell they got George Clooney to do that, but awesome is all I got to say to that. Like, it was just like, what? 
That's fantastic. Um, what I did find out is the Flash actually had three different endings during production. And I'm going to tell you what these endings are. Um, and then uh, I hope that we get to see these endings. I would love to see it on the, obviously on like the Blu-ray when it releases. We'll get to get uh, if you buy the hard copy, you get all three endings. Like we get to see what they look like, or they do it in that um, clue style where it's all in the film, you know? Because um, yeah. clue had three different endings, and they found a way to put it in the movie itself. So like you got to see all three like in the main story. But uh, Keat, uh, ending number one, it was going to be Keaton's Batman. And uh, Sasha Kelly's Supergirl at the courthouse waiting. Okay, that was Walter Hamada's ending that he wanted for the Flash before he got let go. Okay. Okay. The second ending was Sasha Kelly's Supergirl, Henry Cavill's Superman, Gal Gadot Wonder Woman, and Keaton's Batman at the courthouse. Um, that was Michael DeLuca and Pamela Addy, who also got, who no longer worked there. And then the one that we saw in theaters was, was James Gunn and Peter Safran's ending. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even know that. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. So I kind of hope we get to see the other endings just because I'm curious to how they, you know, play out. Um, the Flash. Um, Sasha Callie has confirmed that she has met with Warner Brothers about a Supergirl return. Uh, she says she hopes to continue playing Supergirl. Um, she said she's in love with her so deeply and I feel so connected to her. Great. She also said that, where is it? Here we go. Um, the silo scene was a lot longer. So when they broke her out of the silo, she was yeah. a lot longer. I did a lot of stunts for that movie and some, I think, were a little too rated R. And they ended up kind of, you know, bringing it out, um, bringing it in. Um, I would love to see the wholeness of those shots. Hey, I hope we get the Flash director's cut is all I'm going to say. Because, you know, I want to see all these cameos. <laughs> we, um, we we got to get it because we were talking about even like the whole multi-universe time travel sequence where you see all these other, you know, loved characters from DC movies past and stuff. And Part of me feels like if there's a director's cut, that whole sequence might be a lot longer because there's a lot of areas of just DV or DC media that we didn't get to see at that part. So I I really hope that part's longer. But um, I don't know. The three endings to this movie, it's just so interesting. Like, I feel like the story of this. The story of this movie, the behind the scenes, the pre-production, the post-production, the craziness with Ezra Miller, like a lot of the horrible, horrible stuff that he did. It's a very interesting story. Like I almost want this, want to know the, or I want, I want there to be a documentary, documentary just about the making of it. Yeah. But, and it, that's the one part that's bittersweet about this is like Ezra Miller, all of his criminal allegations are so like put such a bad taste in my mouth, but the final product of this film really is something very interesting and special. And I do really appreciate it, how it's a love letter to all of all of the DC universe. And that's what's really great about it. And, you know, everything from, you know, the greatness of like Christopher Reeve to the, you know, greatness of George Clooney, Batman and Batman and Robin, like it's all there. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, how about this? Let me hit a couple quick hit news stories, and then let's talk about the list, because we've went way longer than I thought on The Flash, but I love it because I wanted to talk about this. I've been waiting all week to talk to you about this. We we knew we would, and I feel like we could go longer. That's what the Yeah, we the totally could. We could just like, <laughs> screw, screw the top five list. Let's just talk about this on there. Um, Andy Machete for director of The Flash is confirmed to be directing Batman the Brave and the Bold. So that's a quick hit. Last time nice. it was in talks, we weren't sure if it's for real. It is a confirmed thing. Okay. Um, I don't know if you heard about this, uh, remember how I, uh, Apple TV made the Tetris movie, which I thought was really good, uh, really well put together. Um, they are also doing a Beanie Baby movie um, about, the right, 90s, about the 90s toy craze when the BB, Beanie Babies became a thing. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google <sighs> it because it got nuts. Like, you don't want to talk about people like buying and selling Beanie Babies. Like, it got crazy. Um, but they're going to do a movie about it. It's called The Beanie Bubble. It's going to have uh, Elizabeth Banks and Zach Galifianakis. Um, there's a trailer for it, but it is barely a trailer. You know how sometimes when they have an announcement trailer that's supposed to be a teaser, and you're just like, well, okay, there's that movie coming, and this, like you really saw nothing? Basically, that's what this is. You're just like, oh, okay. Um, also, <laughs> so it'll be yeah, you know. Oh, sorry, go keep going. No, go ahead. Well, HBO had like a docu-series about beanie like the whole beanie baby craze um within the last couple years and hearing that it's going to be starring like elizabeth banks like i'm wondering if she's going to be portraying one of the characters from that documentary like one of the actual people who was just like obsessed with it but i guess we'll have to wait and see um yeah uh it would that one will be on on apple tv as well just like the tetris one was um okay this is an interesting one. I read through the article. There's really not much here, but Netflix is in talks to license HBO originals from Warner Brothers Discovery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you open up your Amazon Prime, you can get a subscription to HBO through Amazon and watch Game of Thrones over there. Um, you can turn on your Paramount Plus and through Paramount Plus watch some of the Showtime shows over there. Um Shameless is a Showtime show which appears on Netflix because they have a license for it. It sounds to me when I was reading the article that Netflix is going to be try is going to be licensing some of HBO's programs to air on the Netflix side of things, which isn't horrible. I just thought it was an interesting like, wait, what? Because Discovery just bought Warner Brothers and they have this whole new app. Like, why would Netflix even be trying to get their hand in the pot? And the article said, well, now that they lost HBO, I'm like, they really didn't because HB, all the HBO content is on Mac still. Yeah. You know, and it's still owned by Warner Brothers, so it's all there. So I don't really – we'll see what happens when this shakes out. I just thought it was interesting, and I was reading the article, and it's not a lot, but it's like just looks like they're going to be licensing some shows. So you might see, you know, Veep show up on Netflix. You might see Game of Thrones. You might – I don't know if you'll see Game of Thrones. They'll probably hold that close to the chest, but um, you so, might – some of the other ones you might see Westworld pop up you might see you know Curb Your Enthusiasm pop up you know anyway I had I had to laugh because um uh Zack Snyder's been working with Netflix a lot lately like he had Army of the Dead he has Rebel Moon coming out soon and uh I saw all these people online saying that they think that H that Warner Brothers is going to license the Snyderverse from DC 
over to Netflix for Zack Snyder to work on. I don't think that's going to happen at all, but there was a bunch of people super convinced about this happening. I saw the memes going around like Netflix is doing the Snyderverse and it's so funny. And as cool as that could be, I really don't think I think what's going to happen out of this is much more boring. I think it's much more in line with what you're saying, Drew, where we're going to see, you know, Veep show up on Netflix or something like that. Um, and does the reason you're not going to see the Snyderverse happen is because the actors who said they're out, they're out. And that's the yeah. part about it, you know, unless, like, unless they started uh, doing animated movies or something, but yeah, I agree. Not going to get Ben Affleck back as Batman again. You know, he's, he's specifically made his peace with it. Henry Cavill has done the same thing and he's working on Warhammer right now. So you're just, you're not going to get it. Um, two more stories real quick. Um, Ed Greenwood confirms that Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves will be canon to the Dungeons and Dragons Forgotten Realms history. Oh, that's cool. I thought that was really cool. Um, There were some things that happened, but in the realm of the history, and if you're putting together your Dungeons and Dragons campaign or you're a DM and you need to, you know, dig into lore, they say that this is a piece of historical uh, event that has happened and it's considered canon. And I thought that was awesome. So, um, yeah, so it can be incorporated and you can dig into that if you want. Um, the other thing, this is a piece of gaming news. This made me laugh quite hard. Um, so we're going to talk about this. Um, Diablo four has recently released, um, in terms of video games. I like Diablo. I played Diablo two. I thought it was great. I played Diablo three, loved it. Diablo four came out. Um, I'm having a blast with Diablo four. I'm not very far, so don't like look at me for tips or anything like that, but um, I've been watching some YouTube videos and gotten some tips of my own and it's, it's helped because I'm like, oh, right. Yeah. I haven't played Diablo in a while, so I didn't mind getting a little, you know, heads up, but Diablo four has what's called a hardcore mode. Um, they have like these tiers of play, which is like your easy, medium, hard, you know, that kind of thing, but they have a hardcore mode. So you make a character, it's a role-playing game, you build a character and you go play and you go questing and you level up and that kind of thing. If you ever play a role-playing game, that's how it works. Um, in Diablo 4's hardcore mode, if your character dies, your character dies permanently. Which, wow. Which, right, I know. So, like, be, you better be a good player, right? So if your character dies, your character dies permanently, which is kind of interesting because, you know, you're going to play the game and you're just like, oh, well, that's, that's life. And maybe you make a new character and you start over or whatever. And you're just like, oh, I guess I'll try a new class. This cracked me up. This happened in New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand-based streamer, level 91 hardcore character died while teleporting to a town. 172 hours into hardcore mode, his character died during a load screen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know the resolution of this, but I cannot imagine him being happy about it. And I, I feel like they... They had to have gone back and given him his character back. I feel like they should have. <laughs> but because he probably raised holy hell on the Internet for that. But my character died during a load screen 172 hours into the game. That's not <laughs> that's hardcore mode. I don't know. <laughs> and that's that's the thing. Part of you wanna, wants to be like, well, that's hardcore mode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, But yeah, man, that's all we got for the news, and we're way longer than I thought. So let's talk about tonight's list, shall we? Sounds good. Awesome. 
Um, so we're going to roll the thing, and Peter and I will be right back. And now for the top five. All right, Peter. Um, well, this week was my pick. Um, and bizarrely, we have never talked about college movies. Which right. I think is hilarious that somehow in the time that we've been doing the show, we've never discussed college movies. Some movies that deal with the college experience, maybe there's a horror movie that happened to take place at a college, maybe um, it's a comedy, maybe it's a serious film. Like, I mean, there's a section of Forrest Gump that takes place in a college campus. Um, but I did find this very easy to Google. If you just type in list of col- movies that take place or list of college movies, yeah, absolutely. You find, a, you find a list of takes place on a college campus. I'm like, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> I did realize that there's a lot of college movies that I have never seen, um, which I think is interesting. But um, anyway, I do have two honorable mentions. I didn't find this list that difficult to put together. Um, I don't know about you, though. So thoughts? Yeah, there was uh, it was one of those lists where there's a couple of. Uh... A couple picks that were just instantly went to the top of my list, and then it was just kind of rounding out my top five that it was a little difficult. But no, it's a fun list. Um, We've done top five teen comedies in the past. I feel like there's a little bit of overlap with uh, these, but like you said, there's... uh, there's certain like horror movies that take place on college. Um, this one doesn't meet, make my list, but you technically could have done like Transformers 2 Revenge of the Fallen. Like that has a whole college sequence and stuff. So there's a lot of variety, but uh, just a lot of fun films to talk about with this one. All right. So I do have channel mentions. Um, uh, yeah, so do I. All right. So what do you got? Yeah, so the first one that I wanted to uh, mention is uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Um, This is a classic. This is like one of those, when it comes to 80s comedies, when it comes to college movies, when it comes to kind of more of like, even if you want to go in the direction of like the more like gross out, like R-rated comedy movies, I feel like Revenge of the Nerds is such a classic. But it's one of those movies that I saw at a pretty young age and I just thought it was a blast to watch and it was funny. And I think the movie before, um, before geek culture was mainstream, I think the one thing this movie does really well is it makes you identify with the nerds. Like it makes you root for the nerds and it makes you realize like, no, the nerds in this movie are the ones I really want to be hanging out with as opposed to like the Jack antagonists of the film. So uh, yeah, this one's a classic. I don't, I don't want to go on and on too much, but uh, yeah, this one definitely deserved a mention tonight. All right. Well, um, that's, you know, what's interesting is revenge of the nerds doesn't make my list at all. And I feel like it's a little sacrilege when you talk about college films. (laughs) (laughs) But well, I know I know you don't think of it as a college film, but it totally is. And I feel like it's one of the first films I watched that I um, understood the concept of like what a fraternity was, for example, and stuff like that. So. All right. Well, I think I've always thought of Revenge of the Nerds as a college film, and it surprisingly didn't make my list. That's oh, fair enough. <laughs> um, all right. So my first honorable mention is Happy Death Day. Um, nice. I. I've talked about this in the past. It's a horror film. It's basically Groundhog Day on a college campus uh, where the girl's trying to solve her murder. <laughs> I think this movie is a ton of fun and it's a bit of a roller coaster. 
And um, in the realm of the Groundhog Day aspect, it's it's another just take on the day repeating thing. But with all the college stuff going on, it's just it's just a fun movie. That's all. Like, there's nothing more to it than that. Other than that, otherwise, it's just a fun movie. So, yeah, yeah. I love the sequence in this where it has that. Uh, there's the one montage where the main character girl like realizes like, no matter what I do, they're I'm going to die at the end of this day and it's just going to repeat again. And so she starts to kind of just throw all caution to the wind. So like there's the part where she just like walks uh, just completely naked across campus. But I feel like everybody's reactions to that is just perfect when you think of a college setting of where it's like everybody sort of knows each other, but not necessarily. But if one girl did that across campus, everybody would be talking about it at the same time. And I feel like uh, everybody's reactions to that, like in that scene was just like perfect when you think of the dynamics of like how a college campus actually is. So I don't know. This one's a great pick. It's a really, really fun movie, too. So, yeah, um, I agree. And that's a funny it's funny that you pulled that scene out. Like, yeah, that's, that's that would be. <laughs> um what in a in a weird way when i was thinking like for a realistic portrayal of college like i feel like that scene oddly fits the bill um but yeah i can move into my next pick um i actually went with uh pitch perfect um this is a movie that i don't know if i really was like super psyched to see it when it first came out but when i actually uh, when I eventually got around to it, this movie like really surprised me with just how funny it is and how like good of a story and how charming the movie is and stuff like that. Uh, Pitch Perfect's one of those movies that I'm kind of always down to watch. I think uh, it's just really hilarious. And I feel like the cast of characters they have in the film, they really did a good job with making like just a really funny group of people and the way they play off of each other it's just like there's a really infectious dynamic to it all and uh, the other thing that pitch perfect did for me personally was it made me kind of recognize that there's like i mean the movie's what like a decade old at this at this point but like when it came out it made me realize that there actually are a lot of newer pop songs that are actually good because i'm one of those curmudgeons that i guess mostly listens to my old like rock music and stuff and maybe didn't value a lot of the songs that are featured in the movie that much until I watched the film and I'm like oh no actually some of these newer pop songs are actually really pretty decent you know what I mean so uh yeah. Drew I don't know if you have any thoughts about uh Pitch Perfect at all but um Pitch Perfect it's a really fun movie um it's it's interesting how it kind of borderlines on like it's not a musical but it's kind of a musical yeah <laughs> um it's it'd be weird if we were to do a top five list of movies that are musicals but not really um this would definitely make my list for sure um, nice i really liked um i really enjoyed the first one the second one was just okay to me and i never watched the third one uh, <laughs> I don't know why. I think it just kind of like I just I think it just fell off the radar in terms of like just missed the boat. Like I was like, oh, yeah, I never watched that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, no, I, Pitch Perfect's a great movie. <laughs> 
So the second one is, uh, just because you commented on that one, in my opinion, the second one is dumb, but certain parts are really funny. And I feel like the second one's pretty self-aware where like it's like the movie knows it's a dumb sequel and it kind of embraces that the third one i've seen but i didn't necessarily like it as much but it's just kind of like maybe too much of a good thing if that makes sense but also the third one has a weird like almost taken-esque subplot when it comes to like the liam neeson movie taken like there's a weird subplot where they have to sneak onto like some billionaire's yacht at the end of the film and rescue one of the girls and it's it's very it's very weird that way so <laughs> yeah <laughs> well geez all right <laughs> well, speaking to weird uh subplots um my next one is scream 2 nice um, i don't know if i admit, i don't know if subplot matters there um, Scream 2, what's interesting about that is Sidney Prescott, you know, after dealing with the events of the first film, has to go to college. And the killer follows her to college. But um, it's this is what made me laugh about this is every hot teenage early 20s actor that existed in Hollywood got thrown into this movie um, to exist on the college campus. And um, it's like everybody's in there like, oh, this person from this and this person from this and this person from this and this person from this. It's just, it's hilarious how many like famous people are in that movie just for the sake of having them in the movie. Um, But just like, (laughs) you know, Happy Death Day, it's a a horror movie on a campus and here we go. Um, I love the Scream movies in general. So I just kind of, it kind of works. Scream 4, is that high school again? Yeah, I'm pretty sure, because okay. that's when they had the new cast where you have, like, yeah. um, yeah, I'm, like, Hayden Pantier, it, it, and uh, yeah. I'm trying and to I'm, remember that. And I only asking, as I was saying it in terms of Scream 2, I was like, wait a minute, Scream 4 was on that list, but maybe it's because it's high school again. So, so what's funny, though, is uh, I just realized you could, I don't know if you've seen Scream 6 yet, Drew, but Scream 6 technically is a college film, too, and I didn't realize it until just now. Um, but, uh, yeah, both, both are good picks. Um, I really enjoy Scream 2. Um, it didn't make my final list, but this is definitely a great call. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. All right. So what's your first actual pick of the night? So my first actual pick, um, might be my objectively best, uh, pick on my list, but I actually went with Rudy, um, starring Sean Astin, the story of, uh, Rudy Rudiger and, uh, his, um, kind of journey to, you know, go to school at Notre Dame and become part of the football team. And uh, this is just one of those classic underdog tales. This is like the story of somebody who wasn't super big, wasn't super strong and kind of just had to work. You know, he had to fight uphill the whole way, but he had to work really hard to uh, fulfill his dream of actually you know, making it on the field during a Notre Dame football game. And uh, this is a great movie. It's really well written. It's one of those movies that you can watch over and over again and you can just like quote lines forever. But it's got a great soundtrack. It's it's hard to know what all to say because this one's just a classic. Um, Drew, I don't know. If, I don't know your thoughts on this movie, but yeah, I just had to pick this for my first pick of the list. You know, I feel bad for saying this, but I've never really enjoyed Rudy as a movie. Oh, interesting. I I mean, I get it. I 
the movie's good, but I never really like. I was just kind of like, eh, it's okay. That's always <laughs> right. that's always been my take on it. Um, but you know, like, it's a good movie. Like, I think there's like in terms of like that's that movie really deals with the sports side of college, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, and where uh, it really heavily deals with him just wanting to be on the football team and being playing the game and stuff. But I always feel like Rudy falls for me, like, and I know it's a college film, but it always fell for me as more of a sports film than it did a college film, just because of the how it plays out. And um, when it comes to that, I would just think there's better sports movies too. So I'm not saying oh, I wow. don't like Rudy. I just I think the movie's okay. <laughs> well, fair enough. I I actually do think it's uh, really good, but I think um, it definitely doesn't. It's not a film to watch if you want to think about the typical college experience. Like I would agree with that, but I think there's parts of it where it's like, he doesn't have a place to live. So he ends up being a, uh, basically like a groundskeeper for the Notre Dame stadium. And he, he's able to set up a cot in, uh, you know, one of the back rooms there. And that's just like, I feel like moments like that really show how like this person was so dedicated to like, his dream. And I think it's like, that's the stuff that I really find endearing and uh, interesting about the story. Um, and the fact that it was like based off a true story is pretty cool too. But no, no, I hear you. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it would make like my top 10 uh, sports movies, but I definitely think it deserves a mention for a college list, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's why it's look guys, I, I don't like every movie. <laughs> you know? Um, so let's talk about another movie that deals that's a technically a sports film but it's technically a college film. It deals with an underdog um and uh the the drive to, you know, give you a proper college experience and that's the movie The Waterboy. Um <laughs> Okay, we matched on this. I we did, did not okay. expect this at all. <laughs> um this movie's hilarious. Um, this movie really, I don't know if it would fly today. I don't even know if the movie could get made today based on some of the subject matter. Um, I really don't, but the movie's still funny. It airs on TV every now and then. And I'm just like, I think it's, it's not, it's not heavily edited either. Um, but I just feel like there's a lot of stuff you couldn't get away with in today's society, if you will. Um, <laughs> but no, this movie's so, this movie's so hilarious and, you know, happy, uh, happy Gilmore, uh, Adam Sandler playing the water boy gets picked up for the team because he's a good tackler and, you know, he's going to play, but he's got to go to school. So he's got to have the college experience at the same time. So it's basically the happy Gilmore of football movies, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are your thoughts since we matched on this? So. Uh, it's hard to know where, where to begin. Uh, the water boy was one of those movies that, when I was in, like, middle school, I don't know if I bought a copy of this or if I got a copy as a birthday present or something, but it was, I remember being in junior high, and it was one of the few, like, PG-13 movies that I owned, because most of the movies that I had been given during my life were, like, you know, PG or G, like, kids movies, like, Disney movies and stuff, and The Waterboy, because I had a copy of it, I 
I feel like I've just watched this so many times. And uh, this movie is like the definition of stupid funny. Like it is stupid, but it's <laughs> I can't help but crack up when I watch the film. And uh, there's the one part of the movie that I've mentioned so many times, but it's one of my favorite parts. But it's uh, there's a moment where you have Bobby Boucher, who's Adam Sandler's character, and he's talking to his uh football coach and he gets mad about something and he picks up a baseball that's on the coach's desk and he throws it out the window and then it cuts to the shot of one of his college professors who's the uh college professor who uh looks like colonel sanders if you've seen the movie and uh, it cuts to a shot of that baseball hitting that professor in the head and then the professor just makes this sound like and then he falls over And this is a scene that I remember watching with uh, one of my best friends when we were kids. And we kept rewinding it and watching it over and over because it was so stupid, but it was so hilarious. And I feel like this movie is just filled with moments like that. Um, But yeah, I think this is one of when it comes to Adam Sandler, I think he had like a really good um, sort of golden age, you know, during like the late 90s, early 2000s. And then his movies like started getting progressively less and less funny. And I feel like this is one of the last great ones from that era, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Waterboy. Um, all right. So <laughs> um, that kind of, kind of goes back to me then, doesn't it? So uh, since we matched on that one, that goes back to me. Um, so mine is uh, the movie Rules of Attraction. Have you ever seen this? I don't think so. It sounds okay. really familiar. Rules of Attraction is it's it's that college lifestyle movie. Um, it is a very dark comedy. Uh, it's got a massive cast: James Vanderbeek's in it, Jessica Biel's in it, um, Selma Blair's in it. I think if I have that right in my head, um, it's this huge cast, and it's written by the same guy who wrote uh, American Psycho. Um, which what's really interesting about it is if you dig into the writing part of the movie, uh, you find out that the guy, the main character in Rules of Attraction happens to be the younger brother of Patrick Bateman, the main character of American Psycho. Um, so the movie, so the movie actually opens with this really interesting, like pan around a college party and all the stuff going on at this college party. And you have the narration of the main character with all these little bits of stuff and how he views these people and all that stuff and how he views certain women and how he views certain men and how he like certain elements that are going on at the party. And he's specifically there to try and get laid and all this stuff. Like it's an interesting like way to open the movie. And then the movie goes to a certain point and then it rewinds and it picks up on another thing and it catches up and it rewinds a couple times until the movie's in full swing. Like once you get all like the pieces, in place and then it follows a main story um really really cool way to open a movie but if you liked american psycho and you are looking for like like i said it's a dark it's a very dark comedy um and it's got these very serious moments but it's really funny and it's just a well done story but yeah rules of attraction check it out it's really cool um i was kind of impressed by it at the time and it's, it's one that came out in like the late 90s, early 2000s that kind of, I think, skated under the radar because people just didn't, maybe didn't know what it was. I don't really know, but. Interesting. Yeah, I've never, 
I've never seen this. I don't know if I've even heard of it, but it sounds really interesting. And I had no idea about the uh, the American Psycho connection, so I kind of want to yeah <laughs> kind of want to watch, watch it now. If you watch the movie, there's no reference to American Psycho at all. Um, it's the if you know the right if you know the author's yeah. works and you pay close enough attention to both, you're gonna go, oh crap, those two are related. How are they related? And then he later confirmed that they're brothers, and you're just like, oh, that's interesting. You know, like. Yeah. Right. Nice. So anyway, um, yeah. What do you got for me, man? (laughs) Yeah. So my next, uh, my next pick, um, moving out of rules of attraction, I'm going to take us back to another pretty silly comedy movie, but I went with the movie accepted, um, starring like Justin Long and Jonah Hill and Lewis Black. And, uh, he matched on this by the way. Oh, awesome. So accepted, this is a hilarious movie. I, there's, I love this movie, dude. Go ahead. Yeah, this, there's so many funny moments. But I think my favorite part about this movie is it really encapsulates when you're just kind of in, you know, maybe you're one of those people who graduated high school and you don't know what to do and everybody's pressuring you to go to college. And it's it almost feels like to me one of those things that you would think inside of your head like, well, I didn't get accepted into college. Like maybe if I just made a college, oh no, I can't do that. But that's pretty much what this movie is. It like, it's about a guy who like makes a fake college and uh, gets a bunch of his friends and a bunch of random people to go there and uh, kind of just fakes it till he makes it. But uh, it's such a fun story because I really think it does encapsulate that sort of like, you're in a slump. How are you going to solve this? And uh, this is like a great, story about like this is how you bs your way to the top um but it's also like i said like you have uh jonah hill in the movie like he's got so many funny lines you have so many great moments um drew what is there anything you want to talk specifically about this one uh this all right so this is jonah hill before jonah's jonah hill right right you know this is um like lewis black comes in like a wrecking ball uh, <laughs> um, in this movie, it's so funny. Like when he comes in, you're just like, like, just what is he gonna say next? But the same thing with Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill has some of the best one-liners in this movie. That <laughs> I was in tears over some of the one-liners, and they're just one-liners. That you're just, like when he's like, oh, now I know where I can get hepatitis. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, just little or lines like, like that. It's the way he like, slaps them in. Like, he's like, I don't want to go in there. I don't have hobo stab insurance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, hobo. yeah, exactly. Um, there's just little, you know, funny lines like that. And then Blake Lively is also in this movie. Like, before Blake right. Lively was Blake Lively, if you will. Um, there's a lot of, like, up-and-coming stuff. But the movie is, it's got this really charming take to it. But at the same time, it's just a fun movie from top to bottom. And I love that. He he wants his parents want him to go to college. He doesn't want to go to college. So to fool his parents, he makes a college. He fakes one. He makes up a college, just does a website. Dad, look, I'm going to school. Um, and unfortunately, it, it blows up on him because he ends up having to, like, legitly make a college. But um, he names the college South Harmon Institute of Technology, yep. which the acronym is shit. And <laughs> Yeah, that was so like, it's just so funny. He's like, really? 
really that's the name you chose. <laughs> like when Jonah Hill's like yelling at him about it. Um, <laughs> and yeah. then their 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 ma- their mascot is the sandwiches, so they're the shit sandwiches. So yeah, he's like, that what's your mascot? Sandwich? Seriously? Like. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Accepted's great, dude. Um, and it was funny because when I was putting this list together, I was like, I kind of want to watch Accepted again. I haven't watched it in a while. So, uh, yeah. No, yeah. I, I I think another thing about this movie is, uh, just to touch on this too, I don't remember when it came out. I want to say like 2006 or 2007, but I feel like this movie is a really good time capsule glimpse into like the year it came out when it comes to like the music choices in the movie and the way people are dressed. And even when they throw like a huge party on campus, like how that's all set up and how like you have the, uh, the guys at the other school with like the frat, the whole like fraternity and frat party thing. And like a lot of their um, sort of traditions, like a lot of their like themed parties, like the part where they're all dressed in like pimp suits and stuff. I feel like it, the movie feels very, mid 2000s and i really like it from that aspect as well like it's a really good time capsule if you're feeling nostalgic for those times if that makes sense yeah yeah all right well accepted we both matched so i'm tossing it back to you man right on so uh my next pick i'll go with is uh i'm gonna switch things up because i think we might match on the end i'm gonna go with a movie that this was actually I was going to save for last bit because we might match. I'm going to switch stuff up. But uh, this next movie I'm going to go with is a movie I've talked about quite a bit. Um, and that's this movie called Art School Confidential. And uh, this is like I'm somebody who went to art school. And this is a movie that's a comedy about a guy who goes to art school. And it is it is so hilarious, but it's so spot on realistic to the way people in art school actually are um it's hard to even know how to extrapolate that but like the guy's main uh roommate is this guy who's like kind of this crazy filmmaker guy and you know he's like almost like a a closet comic book guy he's very like kevin smith-esque and then you have the the main character who when he goes to his first life drawing class he sits next to this other dude and the dude starts narrating all the different people who are in the classroom, you know, he's like, oh, well, you have this, uh, you know, that you, you have this like goth guy over here. You have this like vegan, holy man, hippie guy over here. And he's got like this funny stereotype for everybody in the room. And it's one of those things where you go to art school and you see all these characters and you're like, yep, yep, this is exactly how it is. And then at the end of that sequence, once this guy's like done explaining who everybody is, this completely normal person walks in the class and the guy says, well, who's this effing weirdo over here? And it's just the normal guy wearing like jeans and a polo. But it's just the way it's played out is so good. Um, but this movie, like I love because it's hilarious It's so true to how art school is, but there's also like a really cool sort of like slasher movie subplot where there's like this, there's this whole like murder mystery subplot where like you have the main story about this guy going to art school and uh, finding his place in the art world and finding love, et cetera, et cetera. But then you have the subplot where there's somebody who's going around campus and uh, strangling people at night. And it's kind of this really fun story that plays out in the background. But then 
by the end of the movie, it directly has like a huge impact on the main characters of the film and, uh, you know, how all their fates turn out. And it's kind of in a cool way, similar to the, uh, I think I've said this before, but similar to the Scranton Strangler subplot on The Office, it's kind of one of those things where like the Strangler subplot doesn't super matter but it also really does and it's what makes the movie really interesting and uh drew i don't know if you've seen this one yet i know i've mentioned it quite a bit but uh this one i highly recommend from like if you like teen comedies if you like college movies if you like kind of just weird indie leaning movies i think this is a really good place to go so yeah i have not seen this so i literally just have to straight take your word for it (laughs) fair enough (laughs) Yeah, um, it sounds cool, though. Um, yeah, I, I think you'd really enjoy this one. Yeah, um, I have already made a note to try. Do you know where it is? Like, where can I, like, is it on Netflix or anything like that? Or, like, I don't know. Um, I do have a physical copy I could loan to you. I don't really, this one might be hard to find as far as streaming goes, though, unfortunately. Okay. All right. Um, all right. Th- all right. So, my next one is, I think. <clears throat> is what you were trying to save for the end, but this is not my final pick, and that is National Lampoon's Van Wilder. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, you're 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 right. I forgot that you had two left, but yeah, that's the one that I thought we were gonna match on. But yeah, we we definitely do. Um, so nice. <laughs> so Van Wilder, literally, it's I feel like it's ultimately a take on it's the modern day Animal House. Now, sorry, but Animal House didn't make my list. And Animal House, to me, I feel like it it falls under a little bit of a generational gap, if you will. Um, I would agree with that. I like Animal House, but I'm also not a product of that era of college, the college experience. So um, that era of Animal House only exists to me as a movie and like punchlines and that kind of stuff. Um, But I do like the movie. Van Wilder, I feel like, is like the modern day Animal House. And I think that's what they were ultimately trying to do. Um, so it's National Lampoon's. Uh, Ryan, this is like, I don't, this is not Ryan Reynolds' first appearance, but I think this is his first movie where he's like taking the lead and doing his thing. And everyone all of a sudden is like, oh, it's Ryan Reynolds. Like, you know, this is one of the funniest college movies I've ever seen. And unfortunately, it became like background noise at like every party I was at for a really long time. <laughs> So it got to a point where it was like, okay, no more Van Wilder on TV. <laughs> That's great. You know, let's we're not putting Van Wilder on because we've all seen it too many times. Like I could probably quote the entire movie even if I watched it today, all along with the film. Um, but this is one of those movies again. Lots of good fun one-liners, lots of great like gags and bits, and it's it's kind of a non-stop college teen on the college comedy just like in general yeah um and yeah i don't know what are your thoughts since we matched on this so yeah this is this is a great movie it's really hilarious i think um it has the really funny sub it has like a couple funny plots going on when it comes to like van wilder's uh various ways that he has to make money for himself or other people in the movie and how he does the whole like he becomes like essentially like the greatest college party planner ever. And some of the other schemes he has are pretty great. And then it comes to him actually like trying to graduate and stuff. And it's like, it's got so many college like 
just classic moments and themes to it that are great. But I think it's just also just a really good raunchy comedy. And it's very, you were talking about, I don't remember what other movie you were talking about earlier, Drew, but I don't know if they could make Van Wilder now with some of the jokes and uh, certain things being offensive and stuff. And I feel like it's one of those last great, just like super offensive, like college gross out, comedies um so yeah this this movie is hilarious uh i think everybody needs to watch it at some point um the one part that's really gross that i joke around with people a lot is the uh the whole part with the uh eclairs (laughs) if you know what i'm talking about yeah (laughs) it's super gross but it's it makes me crack up and it's funny to uh bring bring up around people that know what it's talking about but uh oh the other thing i'll say similar to accepted i feel like this movie is a good time capsule to like the mid 2000s as well especially when it comes to like every other song in this movie is by either like jimmy eat world or sugar sugar cult and it has so much of that like early 2000s like fashion in it and stuff so i think a lot of that stuff's really fun too so yeah 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 the soundtrack for this movie is actually really good. Like, I, I know there's, like, Jimmy World and stuff like that, but and there's some, like, other big-name bands that are on the soundtrack. But in general, like, top to bottom, like, when it comes to the movie soundtracks, like, I know a lot of people jump to that Guardians of the Galaxy, but Van Wilder has a, actually a really good soundtrack. Um, yeah. Well, that's one that I actually ended up having to pick up, so. Nice. Um, all right, so my final pick of the night, um, it's definitely a movie that I, all right, so I haven't watched this movie in a long time, but it's one of my favorite college movies because I think it's hilarious, but I don't know if you could make it now, nowadays. And if you did remake this movie, how vastly like crazy the college landscape would cover. And that's the movie PCU or, Ooh. and if you're wondering what PCU <laughs> is, it's politically correct university. And um, this is a movie, uh, Jeremy Piven, John Favreau, um, George Clinton, uh, and the Parliament Funkadelic, Eric Stoltz, David Spade, like the cast is pretty big, but it's also like some pretty big comedic actors back then. Um, this is about a get, this is about a kid who is showing up as a pre-freshman to visit the school before he goes to the school. And it's at a time where. Um, people are into protesting and not going to class. So they're protesting as opposed to going to class. And they all have their very strong opinions. And you got to be very careful what you say around people and politically correct around people. Hmm. Sounds a lot like what's going on in the world today. <laughs> um, and Jeremy Piven's basically the guy who's on the brink of graduating, but he's trying to have that good party, you know, that that last party year, if you will. Um, and it's... The, Look, this movie is hilarious from beginning to end, and there's a lot of great, like, social commentaries, but you're also laughing at the social commentary, so it's kind of like, we're not poking fun at, like, one specific area, we're poking fun at every single thing, so we can all laugh together at the stuff. Um, The big party they throw is great, there's also some really funny stuff that, like, lands in there, like, you know... There's a scene where John Favreau is trying to figure out, he's getting himself psyched up for a big heavy metal concert he's going to, and... He is like trying to figure out which T-shirt of the band to wear to the concert. And Jeremy Piven steps in and he's like, dude, you're going to wear the T-shirt of the band you're going to going to um, 
So you're going to wear the T-shirt of the band that you're about to go see. And he's like, don't be that guy. And it's a really funny moment because he's like, well, what does that mean? And that became like a, <laughs> that became like a shout out with my friends for a really long time. Like, don't be that guy, <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, it's just it's hilarious um, when you, you know, when you think about stuff like that. But then, like, David Spade is so funny in this movie. And then there's this great scene at the end where, like, they're they don't want the student body to protest at the like. Gradu- it's, I don't, it's not a graduation ceremony. It's something else. But they're like, we don't want the student body to protest. And they're really worried. The school is really worried they're going to protest. And Jeremy Piven gets up and he's like, look, we're not going to protest. OK, we didn't come here to protest. We're not going to protest. All oh, right. He goes, we're not going to protest. <laughs> and then they all start very slowly. They all start chanting. We're not going to protest. So they're protesting. It's it's so funny how it like plays out. Um, but yeah, dude, PCU. Um, I really want to watch it again because I'm really curious. And in the realm of us talking about movies that hold up uh, in the, a couple weeks ago, I really feel like this is a movie that should have been brought up in conversation. I just don't remember if it was. Um but yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we didn't bring this up last week, but it's such a great movie to mention. I actually didn't think even think of it for this list, but yeah, it's such a good movie to bring up. And uh, there's not a ton to add to what you were just saying. But one thing I'll say is like, if they were going to do a sequel to a, to a movie and bring it to modern day, I feel like this would be a great one to do. And because, like, this movie commented so much on, like, the p- politically correct culture of, uh, you know, the 90s. And I feel like they could, there's probably a tasteful way to do it and, like, really funny ways to do it to comment on the current politically correct situation of, like, our world or whatever. But I think, like, if done right, it could be, like, that sort of thing, like you were saying, where it's, like, everybody gets made fun of kind of in a similar way to um, South Park or um, even how they brought Beavis and Butthead back recently. And I know they've had like Beavis and Butthead has had jokes commenting on how like politically correct (laughs) things are nowadays because Beavis and Butthead are obviously very not politically correct. And I feel like PCU could be another franchise that could follow in those sort of footsteps. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, th- this is just a great, uh, great thing to call out, though. Um, all right, man. Well, that brings us to the end of the list, the end of this episode. Um, so what are we doing next week? It's your pick. Yeah. So next week, uh, kind of going in a different direction. Um, we did a list uh, a while ago, probably a couple of years ago at this point. But we did our top five dream cosplay ideas. And that was like. If you could do a cosplay, if you could do a costume for some character within pop culture and you had an unlimited budget and you had unlimited time to put it together, what top five characters would you choose? And I was thinking about that list and I was like, there's a really cool variation we could do on that concept. And that's why next week I want to talk about our top five dream group cosplays. So this isn't just like a costume for yourself but it's a costume for yourself and your friends. So this is where you can think about things more as like, I want to do like a really good group cosplay of like the X-Men, like the full team, or I want to have a series of stormtroopers that I can walk around the convention with. And uh, I think this would be a really fun 
topic to talk about. And I think it touches on like a really uh, fun aspect of, um, I guess, just cosplaying in general that uh, we haven't really talked about before. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good call. All right. Well, everyone, we're going to talk about some group cosplays next week. Um, for the sake of argument, this we ran a little bit long. I hope you all go see Flash, and I hope you all formulate your own opinion um, and enjoy some college movies that I hope we uh, suggested you should check out. Um, nice. Do us all a favor, everyone. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along to a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. You can interact with the show there. Hit us up on our social media. Either way works. We are on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Audible, Amazon. Um, you can subscribe to us in those places. If you um, do so, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, um, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre. And that's where I'll be saying, so that's what a Thanagarian snare beast looks like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, all right, everybody. Uh, for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And thanks for listening. Have a good night. Mm-hmm.